0: Get me some water. I would appreciate it. I've got some, but I've taken so much of it. I don't. I'm going to run out. I think. And after they uh, get all of that out to everybody, we will begin. Turn to John chapter nineteen. John chapter nineteen. Now I know that some of you are going to look at that and you're going to say, "I cannot read that." Well, maybe you can get a magnifying glass when you get home. I apologize. That's the best I could do. Turn to John chapter 19. I've told you for years that the most important spiritual discipline is Bible reading. Because the Bible is the foundation of your prayer life, the foundation of your worship the foundation of our evangelism, foundation of our discipleship. And so we need to know what the Bible teaches. So I am a major advocate on Bible reading. I believe it was D. L. Moody that said that uh, when we read the Bible, God talks to us, and we pray, we talk to God. And he said, but we need to do most of the listening. Basically, what he was saying is is Bible reading is more important. He wasn't demeaning prayer. Uh, Prayer is hugely important. But I cannot overemphasize how important uh, being in the Word of God is. But one of the things that, one of the disciplines that greatly helped my life and, and gave me some depth and and strength was not just Bible reading, but Bible study. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, my friend. was Bible study. And I began to, uh, to study the Bible. And you say, well, what course did you take? Well, early on, I didn't take a course. I learned to, to study the Bible by listening to people. And as I listened to people, I learned to to study the Bible. I learned uh, by what they were saying, and I would pick up statements. I don't know who said this, but they said, "If you if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. But but if you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime." And it's so vital. It's so vital that you learn not just to to come to church and come to bible studies and get something for yourself but you learn to to study the bible for yourself so that you can feed other people and get something from it when i was in bible college there was a wonderful teacher there named bruce lackey l a c k e y any time he got up in chapel boy it was so good he was practical, but he had such a depth to him. And I uh, always wondered, uh, how did he get to be like that? I not only wanted to sit under him, but I always wondered, how did he get to be that way? It's like reading books. If I find someone that wrote a good book as an author, I'll buy something else they wrote. I figured, well, if, if they have that kind of a mind and they're studious, they probably wrote some other Good books. Well, my uh, my senior year, Doctor Lackey was teaching a course called Methods of Bible Study, and I gladly took that course. And boy, it was so good, and it helped me and further established my my heart to want to study the Bible. One of the uh, words that is crucial. To you as a Christian is the word heart, H-E-A-R-T, the word heart. It is easily one of the most important words in the Bible and one of the most important discoveries that you will make to know what that word means and why it's important. This week I, I looked it up. It's used over 800 times in the Bible. It has a couple of applications, but to simplify it this morning... Uh, Basically, it has the idea of your mind, of of the inner person. And, And simply, it means primarily, there are other applications, but primarily, it's the way that you think. And God's primary focus on you is not your behavior, but it's your heart. It's what you think about, because what you think about determines your behavior. Your heart determines your behavior. And one of the areas that God warns us about is being confused. God doesn't want you to be confused. To be confused is to be uncertain, to be unclear, to be mistaken. And if you're confused or you're wrong or you're unclear or you're uncertain about something, there are consequences to it. And so the Bible is very very clear about doctrine and about his teaching and so we need to get these matters in our hearts in our mind and in our inner person so there will be a biblical confidence not a self-confidence but a God confidence and God does not want there to be confusion about the work that he does about his work in the church or his work in your life Now, if you can see it, if you can't, we have some verses on the screen for you too. But the the notes I gave you in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33, the Bible says God is not the author of confusion. If there's confusion in your heart, God didn't put it there. If there's confusion in your home, God is not the author of that. And contextually, when he uses this, he's talking about a local church. When there's confusion in a church, and there was at the Church of Corinth, God did not put it there. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. You see, when God does a work, when God is working, there's peace in a church, in a home. In a friendship. God is not the author of confusion. There's a little island in the Mediterranean Sea right off of Italy. It's called the Island of Crete, C R E T E. It's not large, it's larger than most islands, but there are others that are bigger. It's a smaller island. And Paul had established a church there and he sent his his disciple young man that he had discipled named titus and boy that was a tough place to go and he sent him there to pastor that church and he sent him there to do some things in titus chapter one the bible says for this cause he told he told titus in the book of titus in his letter to him titus for this cause i left thee in crete now watch this that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting or that are lacking. I left you there to set some things in order. Now, the expression set in order is one word in the Greek language. It's a word ortho. We get orthopedic, orthodontist from it. It means to make things straight. He said, I want clarity there. I don't want confusion. And sometimes in our lives, our thinking gets twisted and confused. And it needs to be straightened by the Word of God. I'm not against good biblical counseling, but sometimes we run to counselors. And we run to other people. And we need to run to the Word of God. And if we have any depth in the Word of God, and we've been faithful to the Word of God, there's clarity. For this cause, I left you there that you would set in order, that you would straighten things up there that are lacking. And then he goes on and says to establish some leadership there too, Tim or, or Titus. That's what I wanted you to do. I don't want there to be confusion in the churches. I want there to be clarity. God does not want you to be confused. He doesn't want that in your mind. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the last verse, the Bible says, Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, he's not just talking about organization. He's talking about clarity. It includes organization. But it's bigger than that. It's clarity. What he's saying is, I don't want you to be confused. It's not every man for himself. Now, this is not a message on confusion, though I will admit as I began to read and study some things, I was intrigued by what the Bible taught about confusion. But I want to take one slice of that on confusion, because this is where I'm going with this message, just one aspect of it. And here's where people are confused today, and then we're going to get into the message. Many people, in fact, the majority of people, are confused on what a genuine Christian is like today. When they think about what a Christian is, they're confused about that. Unbelievers are. But many Christians, people that have genuinely been born again, they are confused about what a Christian is. God does not want there to be confusion about that. Now, the enemy, Satan, one of his tactics is, is deception, it's division, it's diversion. And he loves to put confusion in your heart, uncertainty in your mind, and a lack of truth in your, in your pathway. And he wants you to be confused, and I want to be very certain with you on what a believer is today on a way a believer is to act what a believer looks like and here's what happens whenever you accept a standard that is false if you're measuring standard if you get if you're cooking something and and the measuring cup or the spoon is wrong, then the recipe is not going to come out very good. The cake is not going to come out good because the standard is wrong. And then if the primary standard that you have is wrong, everything else that you measure off of that mark is going to be wrong. And I think sometimes that we have bought into uncertainty and confusion. Well that's what a Christian looks like is they attend church all the time. Well, a Christian ought to attend church faithfully, but that's just a, a sliver of the peace. Christianity, its expressions and what God's people are to look like is given to us in the Bible. And many of you are here today, perhaps, and you, you grew up with a caricature of, of what Christians look like. And you meet people sometimes, like I do, and you begin to talk to them about the gospel. And they say, oh, I'm, I'm not interested in that stuff. And they begin to scowl. And sometimes if I've had a relationship with them, I will say something like this. I'm going to suppose that you've had a a bad relationship with someone that attended church or said that they were a Christian and I just want to apologize to you. I'm sorry about that. And I apologize to them because they they lump you and they lump me with, with everybody else and, and the confusion that they have with us and the standard has been lowered, it's been muddled and muddied. And it's your job to be salt and light and to be the standard that God wants us to be. And here's the big idea. We're going to jump into the text. It's at the cross of Jesus that we learn what it looks like to be his follower. It is at the cross of Jesus Christ where we learn what it looks like to be his follower. Now look in your Bible there in John chapter 19 and verse 28. John 19 and verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. This was his Fifth statement. There were seven statements he made on the cross. This was the fifth one. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar. And they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop, which is just a real scraggly branch. And they put it to his mouth. Now, back in those days when the Romans took crucifixion and perfected it and they would... At the end, when the people weren't dying, they would break their legs to hasten it because people died by asphyxiation. And sometimes people would stay up there for days Well, they didn't want, the Jews didn't want Jesus to mess up the Passover and Saturday, so they wanted to hasten His crucifixion. And so they had a narcotic that sometimes they would mix in with a drink to mercifully help the person with all the moaning and the groaning because of the suffering. In verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now there are three very clear qualities of Jesus in this passage. We're just going to look at one and I introduced it Two weeks ago, I want to hit it again and give a little more definition to it. And this is it. Number one, the obedience of Jesus. The obedience of Jesus. There are two words in verse 28 that I want you to look at with me. John 19, 28. Knowing that all things were now accomplished and that Scripture might be fulfilled. Notice the word accomplished in the word Fulfilled. The word accomplished means to to check off something like you have a to do list. Okay, that's accomplished, that's accomplished. The word fulfilled means to finish something without flaw to perfection. When Jesus, listen, when Jesus was on the cross, he was about accomplishing and fulfilling, he was not a victim. He was there within the will of God. And everything that Jesus did in his life, even until he died and he rose, until he went to heaven, was to fulfill the perfect will of God and was according to the word of God. He came to accomplish the will of his father and to, and to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures and prophecies. In Psalm 69, verses 20 and 21, the fulfillment of that scripture is given to us. Reproach hath broken my heart. And David wrote this, and he meant it for him, but it was applied to Jesus. Reproach hath broken my heart. I am full of heaviness, and I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Now here it is, verse 21. They gave me also gall, for my meat, my food, that is poison, gall is poison. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. And Jesus, now get this, Jesus was attentive to the will of God. Just a few minutes before he died, in fact, we read the sixth statement there in verse 30 when he said, It is finished. he's going to die and just before he dies just a few minutes maybe not even a minute he says i thirst now why would he why would he he say i thirst when he's just about to take his last breath now get this because he had to accomplish the will of god and fulfill the scripture, he was being obedient to Father's plan for his life. Now, I gave you this last time, but I want to hit it again because this is so crucial. Notice in verse 28, after this, Jesus knowing, knowing that all things were now accomplished, knowing. The word knowing there means a knowledge that comes From awareness. It's not intuition. It's awareness. He's gathering some things. He knows this. This is the time. This is the time. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Do you know God's will for your life? Are you fulfilling God's purpose for your life? Do you know why God made you? Are you accomplishing God's design for your life? Because the key, and I hit this two weeks ago, the key to being in God's will is living a life of obedience. And as you obey the Lord, He opens He opens doors for you. you now, most people they say, "Well, if I knew which door to go to, if I knew which school to go to, if I knew who to marry, stop that. Just obey God. It's not spooky." You be about accomplishing and fulfilling. You get in the Bible, study the Bible, read the Bible, know the Bible, and say, God, what do you want me to do today? You do what you're supposed to do, and God will open. He'll make the way clear for you. It's so clear. I love what Charles Hummel said. He said, here's the secret of Jesus' life and work for God. He prayerfully waited for His Father's instructions and for the strength to follow them. He had no divinely drawn blueprint. Now, what that means is he, had, he, had, he was the Word incarnate. But Jesus did not live His life as God, though He was God. He lived His life as a man in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. So he knew what God told him to do. He lived his life as if he were like you and like me. He was born of the Spirit. He died, Hebrews 9, 14, in the Spirit. Everything he did was encompassed through the Holy Spirit. He discerned the Father's will day by day in a life of prayer. Prayer. You know, we, we make this really spooky. And sometimes I, I, blame, I blame preachers for this, the way they, they, they make this kind of a, like, oh, I, there's an upper class here. Oh, no, the will of God is for everybody. The will of God is about who you marry. It's about parenting your children. It's not just for the preachers, not just for the missionary. It's for what kind of work you, worker you are and, and where you work and should you take that job. But sometimes you're struggling and you're struggling and you're struggling to find it. When God says, I'm not going to tell you until you do what I told you to do yesterday and last week and last year. And you're going to struggle with some darkness until you deal with the light. Henry Blackaby said this. Boy, this is powerful. Our difficulty is not that we don't know God's will. Our discomfort comes from the fact that we do know His will But we do not want to do it. Well, that's the truth. You will never know the will of God that you don't know until you do the will of God that you do know. You see, most of us are concerned about the where of the will of God. Where am I supposed to live? Where am I supposed to go to school? Who am I supposed to marry? But you're not concerned about the what of the will of God. What are the commands? What are the principles? What am I supposed to be doing? If you will be concerned with the what of the will of God, the where and the who and the rest of it will clear up for you. You know, I've taught this even in counseling with people and I've had people get upset with me. And they say, well, I, I, I've tried that and it doesn't work. And I'm careful because I don't know their life, but it's worked for me. And it's biblical. It's biblical. This is biblical. Something's wrong. And sometimes God is saying, wait. By the way, wait is an answer. He's saying, you're not ready for this. If I give it to you, you'll tear it up. You'll mess it up. Don't, don't hasten it. Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. Now look at it. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. Acknowledge Him, and He shall direct. The word acknowledge there means to come to an understanding by personal experience. May I ask you a question today? Have you acknowledged the Lord today? Have you acknowledged Him? Have you acknowledged Him yesterday? Direction is based on walking with God. You know, we want the last part He shall direct thy path. You want God to, well, acknowledge Him. Quit worrying about the direction and worrying about, acknowledge him. God, I I acknowledge you. I love you. I want to know you. And all of a sudden, benefits and open doors and things will happen in your life that you'll say, how did that happen? Why does it happen for him and it's happened for her? Because you need to acknowledge him. And you say, well, I am. Well, keep on. He's trying to deepen your life. God wants to know you. Listen listen carefully. I want to give you a statement that is so helpful. You are the will of God. You are the... God loves you. It's not a place. These young preachers, they're concerned, well, where am I supposed to go? And, And what kind of church? Stop, stop. You are the will of God. Are you mature? Are you kind? Do you have some depth to you? You are the will of God. You become a, a man of God. You are the will of God. And once you get there, I'll, I'll move you. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and I will direct your paths. Paul was going to go to... Jerusalem, and his buddy said, oh, you don't want to do that. You're on a wanted poster up there, and it's not good. They're going, to, they're going to take your life. He said, don't do that, Paul. Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, Paul said, but none of these things move me. He said, that doesn't bother me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. The word course there is, is a track that you run on. He's using an athletic metaphor. Sometimes people say, well, I, they just talk about sports all the time. Well, you're going to cut out a lot of passages in Paul's epistles. He talked about boxing and wrestling and track. He talked about the Olympics. He said, I want to finish my course with joy. This is my course. This is my, this is my event. And I want you to pay attention to this. He didn't say the course. It's my course. I'm not in competition with anybody. I'm not paying attention who's ahead of me or who's behind me. This is my course. This is the pace that God has given to me. This is my course, and I want to finish my course with joy. And he gives his assignment there. It's a ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. That's his course. This is my course. Your course is not my course. Mama, your course is to raise those babies. That's your course. Daddy, your your course is to be a good husband and a good father. You have some other things in there. That's your course. Finish your course. Don't let the world define for you what success is. Finish your course. See, here again, it's confusion. The world comes and says, Well, preacher, if your church isn't this size, you're not successful. Finish your course. Sunday school teacher, if your class isn't, no, no, finish your course. You've got three in there and one of them is going to do more work for God than you ever did. That's your course. Finish your course. Don't let the world, and not the world, the Bible talks about being conformed to the world. It means a philosophy. Don't get confused with all that clutter. Get clarity on it. Finish your course. What was Paul thinking about at the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, 7, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. And he says the very same phrase, my course. This is so simply profound and profoundly simple. It'll free you up. It's my course. This is my wife. These are my kids. These are my grandkids. This is my course. My sister, I have one, I have one brother. This is my family, it's my course. Take care of them. I finish my course. Finish your course. But some of you don't know the will of God. You have succumbed to the world, so you're just doing everything. Paul said, this one thing I do, not these 50 things I dabble at. What has God called you to do? Now, I understand it may have multiple applications, but what has God called you to do? Bob Jones University there in Greenville, South Carolina, the tombstone of Bob Jones Sr. Here's what it says. A fight well fought, a course well run, the faith well kept, and a crown well won. This past week, I was going over some notes in my computer. I have a folder with it says funerals. If you click the folder, it opens up and there's many, 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 many funerals. Some of your loved ones that are here this morning, you're, I can print out your loved one's funeral and what was said there? And as I was working on my sister's obituary and some comments that I was going to make at her funeral, I went back to my mother's funeral. I said, "What? What did I? What did I say at my mom's funeral?" And I went to the end of it, and I, I found two two messages that. A text message that a friend had sent me. And it said this Your mom hit the finish line tape of life in a full sprint. Not many people can say that. She set a really high mark for the rest of us, just like your dad did. She finished her course. Finishing your course doesn't mean you die. Some of you aren't even on the course. You just died. It means you're in your lane. It means you're focused. It means you're you're you're, you're accomplishing and you're fulfilling. The burden is on you. I've got to get this done. I'm not competing. If you know me, you know me well. I'm not competitive. I don't compete with other pastors. This church doesn't compete with other churches. My wife never hears me talk about this. I have my own course. Another friend told me Rick, speaking of my mom, your mother lived until she died. He wasn't talking about the breath of life. He was talking about living, accomplishing, and fulfilling. She lived until she died. And my sister lived until she died. What are you living for? Are you just going to exist? And you say, well, I would if I knew it. Well, you do know it. Do what God has already told you. What are you going to do with this sermon? What are you going to do with the last weeks and the week before? It is no wonder. It is no wonder that you don't know what to do when you, you, you know, we're educated beyond our obedience. Paul's greatest fear was that he would be Unusable. That there would come a time in his life when God couldn't use him. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. He said, know you not that they which run in a race run all. They all run in the race. But one receiveth the prize. Now I'm going to stop here and say this because this is important. He is not talking about salvation. He's talking about service. And he's talking about serving with a view to a reward. Because some people take this text and they say he's talking about salvation. Salvation is not based on works. You get saved by the grace of God. In this text, he's talking about, I'm running my course. Run that you may obtain. You don't obtain salvation. It's a gift. I, I want to earn a crown to cast at Jesus' feet one day. He's talking about service and rewards. Every man that striveth for the mastery—that means that uh, the mastery means I'm good at what I do, and, and I, I want to win my race, my course. Not beat other people, not gold, silver, and bronze. There's not going to be. It's I want to win a gold for Jesus. Nobody else will be a judgment seat but me is temperate in all things. That means disciplined. It means you turn the TV off. You put your phone down. It means you read your Bible. You read some books. It means you write some things. It means you think. It means you serve God. You're, you're, you're disciplined. You're harnessed. Now they, in the world, in the secular world, the secular races, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. It was a laurel wreath, some flowers, and those were valuable. They honored that, but it was going to die. But we do it, an incorruptible crown, a crown of glory. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation, one day we're going to give them back to Jesus. Because of that I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. You see the confusion? No, I know what I'm after. So fight I. Here's a boxing metaphor. Not as one that beateth the air, shadow boxing. I'm not pretending at this thing. I'm engaging with this. I'm disciplined toward this end. But I keep under my body, or another way to say it, I keep my body under it. I'm disciplining my body because if you want to compete in the games, you have to do that. But in the Christian life, you have to to discipline your body to keep from immorality. You have to discipline your mind to be focused. And I bring it into subjection. That means I I make my body my slave. I put my, my mind over my body. I really, I really don't want to go to church. I, uh, went into, stood by my sister on Tuesday and told her goodbye and held her cold hand and we buried her. We had the service on Wednesday. And on Monday I was my tank was empty, mostly And I told Paul I said, "I can't preach Sunday. There's nothing here. I can't do it. And uh, Daniel's going to be out of town. I'm, I'm going to call somebody. I'll be here. It's not that I didn't want to come. I, just, I don't have anything to give. I made a couple of calls and after that I realized I'm not gonna get anybody and I said, Lord, you're gonna have to help me. And I reading these verses, okay, my mind, Lord, I I just you 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 helped me, you said you would. You helped me. I keep my body under it's weak, it's frail. And I bring it in discipline. I, I make it a slave for a time. It needs to rest some. Lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. I remember when I was in a high school, I had a, an adult that wanted to debate me all the time about doctrine. And he believed you could lose your salvation. And he said, well, the Bible teaches us. I said, no, the Bible doesn't teach you can lose your salvation. Once you're saved, you can never lose it because God promised it. And it's by grace. And so he went to 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Lest I preach to others, I should be a castaway. And very patiently, I showed this man that went to a church that believed you could lose your salvation. Just like I explained, he said, sir, this is, this is about service, not salvation. They're running a race to gain a reward. Salvation is not a reward. When he says, I should be a castaway, he's not talking about losing salvation. He's talking about losing rewards. The word castaway there means disapproved or disqualified. It's the same word. It has the idea of being reprobate. It has the idea of when you're purifying metal, and so forth and you go through and you get the metals that, that you oh this is this is still not pure and you cast it away the old timers used to call it the old the old fellow got put on the shelf god can't use him anymore he's saved but he can't do what he used to do he can do some stuff but he can't do what he used to do anymore because he didn't put his body under his mind and he got out of his lane and he's disqualified. Adam Clark said about this passage, to prevent any person of bad character from entering the list at the Olympic Games, a herald would proclaim aloud in the theater when the combatant was brought forth Who can accuse this man? Is he a thief? Does he have corrupt morals? If not, he may enter the list, that means the list of qualifications, with credit. In other words, we're going to put him in his Anybody know? And if he was an upstanding man, he could get into the race. God's not looking for people perfect people. He's looking for growing people. He's looking for people that have been saved and forgiven and cleansed. But he's looking for people that that are obeying him. Let there not be clutter about it. Are you obeying the will of God? God will open those other doors. Obedience. This is what a Christian looks like. They're obeying. Had a friend, a very close friend that told me Years earlier that he had done some things wrong and he'd been running from God, and he was in a bookstore it was the old Baptist bookstore over there on Holmes Avenue before they moved two or three times and He said he was looking at some books and on the other aisle, he heard his name, he said, "Hey." Have you heard from? And they mentioned his name, and he said, I froze. They didn't know I was there because my back was to them, and I listened to them talk about me. Well, you know, he was in that church, and this happened. He said, I put everything down, and I kept my back to them, and I I slithered out. I was so ashamed. I want you to listen to me. Before you sin, the devil minimizes it. Everybody's doing it. Nobody's going to find out. It's not that bad. You're not going to get caught. Before you sin, he minimizes it. But after you sin, he maximizes it. There's no hope now. Nobody will forgive you. God is against you and the devil will do everything he can to keep you out of the will of God and to create a situation where you can be a castaway maybe you're here this morning and God can always use you but you've got to get in your lane you've got to get in your course and you've got to obey the Lord one of the words I'm I'm, I'm just sick of hearing legalism Legal. that 's legalism we 've made obedience being a legalist. we know that they 're legalist over there now I, under, I understand what it means, but most people can 't even define it Honestly, theologically they can 't even define it i don 't want that 's not a message on it, but you need to be careful because some people have bought into this thing that anybody 's just trying to live a life of, of simple obedience and love for God. That anytime they just want to obey the Lord, that they become a legalist. Get out of your lane. In John chapter 4 and verse 34, we see Jesus' mindset. John 4, 34. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And to finish, and to finish his work. To finish his work. Meat was nourishment it was food not for his body but for his soul he said this fulfills me this fulfills my soul the will of god i love what i'm doing most people let me tell you a statement i don't like to hear well you hear this a lot of pastors meetings and pastors i despise it well you need to be you need to take care of your family You know, take your wife out because if you don't take care of your family, you can't pastor. Oh, oh, so that's why I need to do that. I had rather be a husband and a father than a pastor. I'm going to take care of my wife because I love her. I'm going to take care of my kids because I love them. Not so I can be a pastor. Who are these screwballs? I, I, let me let me go on. I, I, I'm thinking about it. I'm kind of boiling about it. Can you imagine the teaching on the family they give? Let me give you one. Now, for Thursday night is family night. We're going to keep that open. So one night a week, you can at home with your family. It's family night. Play checkers with your family. No, no, listen, God's will is balanced, and He's called me to be a husband and a father and a child of God, and He has called me to be a pastor too, and there's no conflict. Bob Jones Sr. said duties never conflict. Now I understand sometimes you have to balance them out. But I love what I do. I love being a pastor and a preacher and a servant here in this church, but I love my wife. I love being a big brother. I told him Wednesday at my sister's services, I'm going to miss being a brother to my sister. That was God's will for my life. John seventeen fourteen. Jesus said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, John nineteen thirty, he said, it is finished. It is finished. Well, that was the work of redemption. What is the work he's talking about here in John chapter 17 and verse 13, or 17 and verse 4? It is the work of working with the 12. Because this is a prayer he prayed the night before he was crucified. I finished my work. What tasks are you accomplishing within the will of God? What are you fulfilling that God has given to you? What are your tasks as a daddy that you're doing? What are you fulfilling as a wife? What am I fulfilling as a pastor? What what are my tasks? What is my work? What am I investing in? What am I giving my Myself too. God has given me an assignment and He's given me the resources. And the biggest resource is time. We went back in the bedroom on Wednesday night a week ago. Melanie passed away the next morning about 5.15 in the morning. And it was me and Hoss and Paula. And we've been back there for 25, 30 minutes. I spent 64 years with my sister. I have a lot of thoughts. I think stuff all the time. I don't mean smart things, but just I think stuff. And I'd been thinking about this and she could respond, but she couldn't talk. Hoss was trying to get her to talk to me. And I said, Melanie... Speaking of our grown up years, I said, "Melly, we never had a lot, but we had everything. We had everything." I want to tell you something: you have everything you need to do the will of God. You got time. If you're saved, you got a heart of love. You got a Bible. You have instructions. And the mark, the mark, let there be no confusion about it. The mark of a Christian is not what the world puts on us. But it's a mark of obedience within the lane, within the course of the will of God. I'm just, I got my head down on the plow just just doing the will of God. This is God's will for my life. Because one day, one day I want to say I finished my course. My course. I finished my course. What is your course? What are you accomplishing? Now, your work has a place there. But there's some things more important than your work. Our Heavenly Father, I pray today. As we leave, that you would do a work in our hearts about what you've called us to do. And Lord, every one of us has a different course. Paula's course is different than my course. And my children, their course is different than mine.